This is The Mudroom, on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson, parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers and preschoolers more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Hello, and welcome to a back episode of The Mudroom. We are continuing our series on early childhood theorists. Welcome. I hope everyone's having a fantastic week. For those of you who are watching for the very first time, my name is Alana Robinson, and I am a parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist, and I help parents just like you of infants, toddlers, and preschoolers implement non-punitive, child-centered, developmentally appropriate behavior management in their homes with their families so that they can raise confident, competent, well-behaved kids. I do one-to-one coaching. I have a self-study program called the Brain Skills Play Blueprint. And as I said, I host my free peer support Facebook group, The Parenting Bossy. All right. So tonight is John Dewey night. And if you're pretty much every parent who has no previous knowledge of child development, that name rings zero bells. He's not like Montessori, who we all kind of know about from hearing about him in social settings. He was a contemporary of Montessori and Piaget and Vygotsky, though. So unlike those three, We've already covered, so if you want to go back and watch those, you can hit the videos tab on my page, and it'll bring those right up for you. But unlike those three, Dewey wasn't so concerned with child development so much. He was really more concerned with education. So his work really wasn't aimed at parents at all. It was aimed at teachers. But as parents, we can still take a lot away from him. So let's get the dates out of the way. He was born in Vermont in 1859. He was the son of a farmer and he went to the yeah, the University of Vermont in 1884. He got his PhD from Johns Hopkins University. He then taught at the University of Michigan for a time. And in 1894, he moved to the University of Chicago. That is where he established his famous laboratory school. In 1904, he left the University of Chicago for Columbia University in New York, and he died at the age of 93 in 1952. So, in case you didn't notice, those dates are a really long time ago. The parents of the students that he had in his laboratory school at the time remembered when children were educated at home, watching their parents do meaningful work. So most of them were educated in that way. They were critical of the traditional formal teaching format um, where children were learning information by rote and out of context, which might ring some bells for some of you because it's very similar to what's happening today. So, you know, in preparing this broadcast, it really hit me how, you know, at the same time, we've come so far and yet we're still dealing with the exact same issues as we were a hundred plus years ago. Dewey is still so relevant today because while we've learned all this stuff about how children learn and think and develop, very little of it has actually been put into practice. So, you know, education has basically remained unchanged. Dewey agreed with Montessori and Piaget that children learn by doing, 
and that a teacher's role is to encourage experimentation and independent thought. Conversely, unlike Piaget and Montessori, who, as we already discussed, believed that the environment was the main teacher, Dewey sided more with Vygotsky in that he believed that children learn best when they're interacting with a more knowledgeable other, with other people. This is really why I wanted to do Dewey before we move on to, <laughs> that sounded wrong, to do Dewey. Um, sorry, immature moment. Okay. Um, this is why I wanted to discuss Dewey before we move on to anybody else, because he really was kind of middle of the pack. He was all about giving children the child-sized tools and, you know, enabling them to do it all by themselves. But he felt that part of that was the teacher whose job it is to use their superior knowledge to help children make sense of the world. He thought that information coming from an experienced other was more useful to children than something that they stumble upon by themselves, which is a complete contrast to Montessori and Piaget. So Dewey was a proponent, proponent of emergent curriculum. He wanted teachers to plan their curriculum by observing the interests of the children in the room and then creating educational experiences to extend their interests. So if children were really into dogs, for instance, you know, they're playing dog, they're talking about dogs a lot, they're talking about their dogs, they want to read books about dogs, it's a pervasive interest in the room, then it's the teacher's job to create experiences, plan field trips, and include materials in the classroom that support that inquiry and extend it. He wanted teachers to not necessarily lecture students, but to ask them questions and put extensions in their path, put them in their way to help them find out what we already know. So if a child drew a picture of a cow without udders, we could look at pictures of cows in different contexts, read books about cows and what they do, take them to a farm and show them a real cow and have them watch a milking demonstration. So and I'm just noticing that, you know, a lot of my examples have to do with cows, <laughs> just in general. I think it's because I did a lot of cow stuff with my older son. He was obsessed with cows for a really long time. So you'd, you know, you'd expose them to what they got wrong in a bunch of different contexts to help call attention to what they overlooked. That's what he meant by using our superior knowledge to help them. You know, we want to help them make sense of the world. So Dewey had, you know, some criteria for what makes something an educational experience. And this, I think, is really applicable to parents because I so often hear, oh, well, you know, that show is educational or this outing is really educational or that toy is really educational, even when it's really just pure entertainment. And it's okay for our children to be entertained, right? It's okay to be entertained. And I find this set of criteria really helped me as it was an early interventionist when I was doing that and now as a mother to kind of weed out what is genuinely educational and what's just for fun. So his criteria were one, is it developing a skill? Is it helping the child get better at something? Two, is it helping the child be a more active citizen of the world? Is it preparing them for life in some way? Three, does it expand on what they already know? Or are we doing it 
because we think that they'll develop an interest if we expose them to it. Dewey was really, really adamant on the whole start with what we've already got thing, right? He didn't want educators or parents to start putting stuff in children's way that would distract them from something that they're already interested in. And that's kind of a weird mashup of, you know, Montessori and Vygotsky. He really wanted kids to start from a place of strength. Number four is how is this helping children understand more of their world? What is it clarifying for them about their community, their environment, or their life? And five, how is this pushing them to grow? How is this provoking them to stretch their knowledge of what they already know? For Dewey, it's not enough for something to be fun or to be interesting. It's got to have a purpose. It's got to stretch you mentally, and it has to leave you wanting more. So an example of this, at McEwen University, which is where I did my second degree, they had a childcare lab school. So we had access to actual children while we were doing our studies. And they did this really neat project that really falls in line with Dewey's criteria and his whole kind of philosophy. So as is with all institutions these days, they were trying to provide healthier food. So they switched out all of their flavored sugared yogurts on their menu for plain yogurt. And the kids hated it and they were very vocal about it. They wanted their old yogurt back. So the ECEs, they were explaining about sugar and how too much of it is unhealthy. And the children wanted to find a way to make the healthy yogurt still healthy, but taste better. So they had a registered dietitian and a holistic nutritionist come in and talk to the kids and give them some ideas. They visually compared how much sugar were in different fruits and sweeteners. They went to the grocery store with the kids and they bought literally every brand of plain yogurt that they could get their hands on. There was so much yogurt in there. They learned how yogurt was made and they made some in the classroom. They taste tested all of that yogurt that they bought. And all of the combinations of yogurt brands and different fruit additives. And then they voted on it. And the whole center, not just the preschool class who'd started this, the whole center, which was like eight classrooms, came to a decision on what kind of fruit would be available to be added to the plain yogurt and what brand of yogurt the cooks would buy. And when it was done, they wanted to learn more about the rest of their menu. And it kicked off this whole healthy eating food pyramid type project that the kids initiated because now that they'd figured out this one aspect of their menu, they wanted to know about all the different food that they were eating. It was insanely advanced work for preschoolers, <laughs> but they had ECEs who were very keenly observing them, asking them the right questions, and then putting those extensions in their way so that they could find their own answers. And that is exactly what Dewey felt was true education. So as you can see, Dewey wasn't really concerned with parents. He was concerned with teachers. But I still think that we can take a lot away from him, namely making sure that we observe our children and plan activities that extend their interests and follow those five criteria so that we're providing them with truly educational experiences. Not everything has to be educational, 
But it's important to be aware of what actually is educational versus telling ourselves something is educational because it makes us feel better about them watching TV while we zone out on our phones for a few minutes, which is totally fine. Absolutely no shade. I do it daily. We're parents. We're not teachers. Everything we do with our kids doesn't have to be 100% educational. The other thing I think we can take from him is that idea of extension. So putting things in our kids' way to help them figure things out, asking the right questions to guide their learning. In a behavioral context, that's why my logical consequence process has so many open-ended questions in it. Because when we ask the right question, we provoke critical thought. Just like, you know, we want them to use those executive functions. We want them to think critically. So that's why there's so much open-ended or so many open-ended questions in that process. So there you have it. Those are the Cole's notes on Dewey. <laughs> I hope that some of this theorist stuff is starting to come together for all of you. If not, let me know in the comments, and I will be happy to clarify absolutely anything that I can. And let me know in the comments if you've got any glaring questions about, you know, how all these theorists melt together in real life, because I know there's a lot of seemingly opposing views on the same topic, and that can cause a lot of mental friction for us. I'm going to remind you, if you haven't already, and you're enjoying the content that I've been bringing you, you like my vibe, what I'm saying makes sense to you, and you want to learn more about me and what I do, go ahead and download my scripts for managing crazy-making behavior. They're totally free. They are the best introduction to me and how I do what I do. They're 10, 10, 10 one-liner scripts that teach you what to say and how to say it when your children are driving you absolutely bat crap crazy. I get such awesome feedback on them. Parents across the globe are messaging me, telling me that they are genuinely changing how they parent their children for the better. And they're my gift to you. They're 100% free, so go grab them. The link for them is up in the comments. Okay, so if there are no comments or questions, that's it for tonight. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you next Tuesday for another Early Childhood Theorist. You've been listening to The Mudroom, Uncommon Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us on social. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.